0: Knowles. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. As always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual Fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to, to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show.
1: Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way.
0: Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. KJ, I'm a little better rested and recuperated uh, than last we talked, but uh, still basking in the glow of what was an impressive Florida State win and the polls seem to reflect that as well as FSU is up in the polls this week.
2: Uh, I'm going to view it as a as a buffet as a as a as a meal so we we had the the great appetizer because you had Renegade and in Osceola in Orlando then you had the the feast which was FSU defeating LSU then you had a, a a little bit of a dessert uh, not to pick on them, but our, our friends from Clemson kind of stubbed their toe. Uh, and then he had a nice port wine to finish things off. Uh, FSU number four in one pole, number five in the other, as we head into the Southern Miss game. So uh, from a culinary standpoint, it was an outstanding, outstanding experience.
0: That was a lot of sophistication coming from you, KJ. Uh, I, I appreciate the uh, the analogy there. The only thing is, it's the first week of the season, and so I'm not really sure how fat and happy we should be getting, even though the team looked good for one game. You know the deal. you got to play a bunch more. want to? Do you want to discuss the Clemson game at all, or you want to table that? Maybe we'll get to that later on. Let's we'll stick get with to that, that later year. on. We'll get to that later
2: on. It's, it's unfortunate. you know. It, again, I go back to stuff, stuff our, our listeners have heard, heard me talk about. You know, yeah, we're happy when Florida loses, and now we're getting happy because Clemson's lost. But the reality is you'd really want those teams to be undefeated when you play them because that's in the best interest of you as a a football program, not in the best interest of us as football fans. But we're going to enjoy it anyway.
0: Yeah, the only thing is Clemson will probably get a little more right and they may stay in the polls and Duke is now in the polls and you play Duke later too. So maybe you get a chance at two ranked wins. Hey, we didn't talk much about this and I haven't even watched the full – replay of the game as we're chatting Keith but but one of the big changes that was made uh, is the way Florida State schematically ran its counter in the first half versus the second half And without getting too far into the X's and O's in the first half they were doing it out of a one back set and, and then LSU was fitting the play well and you were getting stopped for two and three yards and in the second half Florida State had Jaheim Bell back there so they went to a two back backfield and Uh, basically they got the numbers advantage over LSU and LSU could never fit the play defensively. Brian Kelly talked about this afterwards. My point is, Keith, you know that Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins were aware that they could make that switch probably in the second series of the game and the team could execute it, but they waited until after halftime, i.e. after LSU had an extended break to defend it. And then they pulled it out in the third quarter. And so uh, I mean, that's just one of those little nuances of the game. We're not going to tip our hand in the second quarter so they can spend halftime explaining it to their team. We're going to wait till the third quarter, and LSU could never figure it out. You know, we, we've talked about for years now how you'll run a
2: play and run a play to set up another play. That's been around football since there's been football. But with the sophistication, and again, we don't want to put too much, you know, genius cap on Coach Norvell and Coach Atkins, but – It is that sophisticated that you may wait, even though you see something you can take advantage of, you may wait until after halftime to install it because you don't want to give them the opportunity to make any adjustments. In-game adjustments have to be made on the fly. Halftime adjustments are a little more relaxed, a little more time, you can get on the board, you can get everybody together, you can draw everything up. It's just a different environment. Uh, how unbelievable is it if, in fact, that was the case, and we're assuming it was, that you would table something to take advantage of it in the second half?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's possible that it took the coaching staff coming together at halftime and say, hey, what can we do? And somebody says, well, let's do this. And they did make the change at halftime. But those guys are smart enough. They were all talking about it. They probably knew about it going into the game. Let's open this way. And we'll see – let, let's try to get it blocked up this way and see if LSU can handle it. Then a couple series in, they figured out LSU can handle it. They just waited to pull the ace out until halftime. And here's
2: the other part of it, and, and your colleague, our colleague, William Floyd would be the perfect one to tell you about this. A running back blocking is a different scenario than an offensive lineman blocking. Number one, they don't take up as much space. So, so you, you can create a little bigger crease – Number two, that offensive lineman, particularly when they're pulling, they're going to be blocking a a half a yard down the field. A running back's going to be blocking a yard and a half down the field because they're quicker. And so just the whole dynamic changes ever so slightly. But in between the tackles, that's all you need. That's all you need. And so uh, it, it may not seem like a big deal, but it's pretty significant.
0: It it was a big deal. Uh, So Florida State, as you know, gets the win. They're into the top five in both polls. We'll have our Osceola insider, Bob Frante join us next, and we will uh, continue to look back at the, uh, the big night that was against LSU. So stay with us as we are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back
0: to Front Row Knowles. A lot to continue the conversation about related to Florida State football and the great show against LSU. So let's go ahead and open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joins us right now. And I should point out, if you don't subscribe already, the Osceola is running a special this week. Conveniently, I'm sure it's just coincidental, Bob, that uh, 45-24 – is the cost, $45.24, and $45.24 is the promotional code if you want to just go subscribe. That might be related to the score on Sunday night, I'm just guessing?
3: Yeah, yeah, distant cousins, but uh, I think Jerry had that as his score prediction, had that promo code ready to go uh, late Sunday night.
0: Did he really have that as his score prediction? Okay. No,
3: no, we we all had this one in the 30s. I I will say we all had this one as a high-scoring game in the 30s, yes.
0: Well, looking back, it's hard to fathom this, but if Florida State doesn't get out of its own gets out of its own way in the first half, a couple series offensively, it would have been in the fifties potentially.
3: You know that first half, it, it was both, um, I think, electric and maybe frustrating if you're watching it from the Florida State standpoint. Because yes, you see those three drops. I mean, the stalled drives. You see the the missed tackles, some coverage busts but it, you felt like force it was really in it and the crowd was in it and those fourth down stops. And, but yeah, I mean, Force it could have put up, like you said, 50, this is an offense that scored 36 points per game last year. I think best in the ACC top 20 nationally, you almost feel like against um, honestly, lesser defenses than LSU that, that you can almost name your point total or go into that second half later on and put some of the backups in and get them, some time too. So good, good problems to have.
2: I'm the proverbial old guy in that I'm going to ask the question that I know no one knows the answer to, because it hasn't been looked up yet. But one of the numbers that jumped out at me is you score 45 points and it was either 64 or 67 plays. You know, offenses these days are running 80 and 90 snaps, but FSU was very methodical in the things they did. Uh, that is a huge point total for a, a, a regular number of plays.
3: And I think we're going to see this with the new clock rules. Something that I, I kind of wanted to look at before the season is what it forced State average last year against power five, you know, legitimate teams, not counting FCS, not counting, you know, lower group of five. And then we have seen through week zero and week one, it trends about three to five plays per team less but we have seen some oddballs, like Chip Kelly went in halftime and grumbled, hey, we only had two first-half drives. I hope ESPN's enjoying selling all these commercials. So we are seeing some coaches going, hey, this is totally different. It is changing how we think, how efficient we are. Um, when do you go into that four-minute offense? When you're ahead late in the fourth quarter, the game can really change. Uh, we saw that happen to Florida, Like like Utah was really – um able to get ahead and then Florida couldn't move the ball you know obviously and and could not sustain anything to get at least one score let alone two scores so that fourth quarter I think we will see um that the time will get away if you fall too far behind but the the new clock w- rules will definitely be something that we'll be watching I think throughout the year just how it does alter college football.
0: Keon Coleman not surprisingly uh ACC Player of the Week at his position, three knolls honored. What does he remind you of in the Florida State Annals, Bob? Anybody? I mean, it's been one game, but that frame and the ability there, anybody come to mind?
3: You know, this this might just be a bad answer. I'm not sure he reminds me of anybody. I think he's a little bit of just Keon Coleman. Nobody's had three touchdown receptions since Auden Tate back in December of 2017 in a single game. Technically, there's a lot of Rashad Green there, right? Good route runner, nice hands. The ball comes in on the hands. It doesn't get into the body. He can go up and get the ball, sort of like the great jump ball receivers of Florida State history. And you know, we can think about a Greg Carr, an Andre Cooper, a Kelvin Benjamin. There's a little bit of that way they can elevate and control the body. This guy is going to be here about four more months. It's going to be fun to watch. I think we all know he's off to the NFL uh, defenses will adjust. I, I think he had essentially one-on-one coverage on all three of those touchdown plays, but there were some missed tackles there on that first one. The second one, you high point it. He's just going to be a really, really tough coverage matchup. And Oh yeah. If you try to focus on Keon, there's Johnny, there's Jaheem, there's Kyle, there's the run game. There's Jordan potentially running it. it it's a really tough offense to stop it's a really fun offense to watch
2: I'll tell you who he reminds me of he reminds me of uh, a 40 year younger Ron Sellers because Ronnie had that size he had those hands now he wasn't as fast as Keon is but in an era when nobody was throwing the ball you know he racked up some pretty impressive numbers Uh, and just the size and and, you know the physique and Tom you've mentioned this several times the first time that that you met him or encountered him, you, you really weren't sure who he was until you figured him out. And then you went, wait a minute, that's a, that's a fifth year NFL guy.
0: Yeah. That's I'm what okay. he looks like. The guy, the guy that came to mind for me and and Keon is thicker than he was, was Javon Walker, who was, who was six, three and had a great friend. I remember seeing Javon, I guess he was playing in the league and it was an off week and he was back and he was dressed, uh, you know, head to toe in uh Under armor and like the definition in his abs. I don't know what Javon was doing other than just being a pro athlete. I mean, he looked like he was competing for some world competition. He was so put together at that point, but Keon's thicker than him even and taller than him for that matter. Uh, And Javon, I thought of more as a speed guy than necessarily uh, as gifted at going up to get the football. But then again, Javon was a first round pick. I don't know. It was impressive. KJ. I know one thing you're happy. You don't have to cover him. (laughs) <laughs> i would be checking the zone real quick <laughs> hey Bob the the defense overall it, it's kind of strange it feels to me like they played a really good football game honestly they had, held lsu to 17 points before garbage time but then there were four or five plays i was writing it up there were there were five plays that totaled 238 yards of the 460 that LSU got. So the good news is the other 58 plays were like 220 yards. I, I guess looking at them, these weren't bust though, in terms of the corner and safety not communicating. The first play of the game, a linebacker, there's some confusion there. Linebacker doesn't get out. The draw before half. And I did count the the garbage time TD in that yardage. But is there any reason for concern about any of those plays, or do you think that's all pretty easy to clean up?
3: You know, I think it's a combination of factors. I think LSU's got some really good skill players. The week one factor, we we kind of knew missed tackles was going to be a factor just because you you don't tackle the same way in the preseason. I think that's something. Um, you know, we we kind of thought this was going to be high scoring, honestly, and and I, I I thought the Tigers might do a little bit more, um, be a little bit more explosive than than they even were. Um, you know, you mentioned that the defensive line, you know, for example, I thought the defensive front with those two fourth down stops. I mean, that just kind of sets the tone early on because you can you can absolutely be on the ropes. And at that point, um, you know, we, we're in a closed in press box. But the four state fans, the the marching chiefs, you felt the energy from that crowd on, on that fourth down stop. So it just was able to, you know, I think make LSU's life pretty miserable going down into that end zone.
2: Tommy, bail me out. What was the game out in Kansas City uh, early in the season with the 27th play fourth
0: down stop? Iowa State. You
2: know, this, you know, we'll never know until we get to the end of the season. It's way too early to predict. But that that fourth down stop and then a second fourth down stop, we may end up pointing to that and saying that that's when this, this Adam Fuller, Randy Shannon defense did, in fact, Take it up to another level.
0: Well, the game you're thinking of is the Iowa State was in in 2002, but you're thinking way back to '93 when they had the goal line stand against Kansas, and it was the springboard for that team that uh, yes be- became a national champion. On that, that was like 11 or 12 plays they stuffed them at the goal line. Yep, I, I'm I'm sorry, I did
2: mention that. It was in uh, it was in New England, Kansas City, New England. Is close enough. <laughs>
0: Bob, what else? Uh, you, you know, the, the offensive line. So, Bless Harris was named Offensive Lineman of the Week. Uh, Jordan Travis, by the way, gets ACC Player of the Week honors, too. So, those are the three nulls that are that are honored, those two, and Keon. Uh, Bless Harris went in, didn't start. Was that, as far as we know at this point, was that just a personnel decision, a matchup decision? Was that a, a injury setback for for Robert Scott, or do we not
3: know? Yeah, I think it was part of the rotation to some degree, just because we knew – eight to 10 guys might get in there. Keandre Jones played the whole second half, for example, too. Um, I, I did notice pregame, you know, Robert Scott's ankles were really, really taped. So I, I think he, he might have been going through a little bit of something there. But great to have this kind of depth. Uh, again, we haven't seen this many offensive tackles who, hey, you know, you're, you're maybe shifting guys all around in past years. This year, you've got Robert Scott, you've got Bless Harris, um, you know, we've seen Jeremiah Byers now one game. We may see some more Julian Armella down the road. When you get to these blowout situations, potentially Southern Miss, um, you might see more second team offensive linemen. So I thought it was a really good offensive line game from the standpoint of no sacks, two straight years, no sacks by LSU against Florida State. So credit to the offensive line, credit to Jordan Travis and the escapability and also to the second half, the way that the the OL um, cleared some run lanes a little bit differently with that that two back set, a little bit more Jaheim Bell as a blocker, kind of just just different strategy, different personnel there. But I thought you know for the OL to to be more physical to finish off LSU was it's a really good storyline going into the season.
2: You know, Alex Coach Alex Atkins in his comments after practice on Tuesday uh, was asked about that. And, and said that they had a plan going in. In other words, he used this illustration and if you've ever been on the sidelines, Tommy, you've seen this for three decades now. When a, when a segment coach comes over and goes, I'm pulling you and I'm putting Tom in, you always get a reaction. There was a plan going in. So when he went over, went over and said, you're going out and Bless is going in, or you're going in and this guy's coming out, there was no conversation. It had been pre-planned up to a degree, up to a degree. Uh, I found that very interesting because that type of candor doesn't always uh, exhibit itself on the sidelines.
0: I, f- I find it interesting, and we've talked about this, that uh, for so long you just didn't mess with the offensive line. You talked about continuity and communication. But defensively, we know none of Florida State's D tackles played more than 30 snaps. You know they got, They're rotating six guys in there, 25, 30 snaps apiece. So if the defensive line is always fresh, why not try it with the offensive line to some degree? If I guess, I guess the answer is maybe you don't normally have the depth that FSU has, but I'm not opposed to it because these guys, it, it's not like you're putting somebody in there that's never played football. These guys have all started 25 games in their career that you're flipping in and out, so why not?
3: Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. I don't know what other programs around the country have done here. I, I think, you know, Alex Atkins historically – I remember one of our first conversations, he said, you know, somebody asked about offensive line issues at Florida state historically. And he just said, guys, everybody except for who's in the championship game has offensive line issues. Now, four years ish later, we're getting to the point where Alex Atkins offensive line issues are just not that big of a deal. And he's got the kind of depth just to play around with, with matchups, with uh, just getting guys different playing time. I I think the heat and humidity might also be an interesting factor that we're just not thinking about. It's week one, it's get it's game conditioning. Do you want us put some newer guys out there to to just to see how it shakes out?
0: He is Bob Ferrante, our uh, Osceola insider, Bob, we will let you get going. I'll remind folks once again, subscribe. If you don't already uh, at the Osceola.com and, you know, I asked about getting the score into the fifties that would have just cost folks seven bucks more. So 45-24. Forty-five twenty-four. Yeah, unfortunately, the second team up the price by seven cents there with that touchdown in the end. But you know, we'll take what you what you're offering. Tell Jerry, thank you for us, Bob.
3: We do what we can. Take care, guys.
0: All right, we'll uh, come back. It's it's Hall of Fame Week. I should point out at uh, Florida State Athletics. We'll talk about that. Got a bunch of Hall of Famers going to be uh, saluted on Friday night. All, that is uh, straight ahead here on Front Row
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We appreciate Bob Frante joining us from the Osceola. We're going to continue talking Florida State Athletics as we always do. It's a big week home opener coming up on Saturday, and what precedes that home opener every year on the Friday night is the FSU Athletics Hall of Fame ceremony, and uh, it's always a great class, and it's competitive to get in, certainly, and we're, we're really pleased to have one of the honorees join us right now, and that is Coach Sue, Head Coach Sue Semrau, now a Florida State Hall of Famer. Coach, how are you?
4: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: You bet. So when you uh, when you found out, and it's not like this was a surprise that you found out about today, but I'm not sure exactly when it was, but a, a few months ago, what, what was your thought? What, what what does it mean to you after all the effort uh, and hours that you put in during your, your your terrific career at Florida State as head coach?
4: You know, uh, when I learned about it, I was I was blown away. I um, it was just such a an amazing um, tribute that we had during the Duke game and it's such an honor. I, I remember, you know, so often from the beginning of my career throughout, I would look up into the, into the banners up at the banners in the Tucker center and just think about all the players that have been uh, put in the hall of fame. And then Hugh, Hugh Durham, I believe. And, and just thinking about that and, and how great of a place Florida state is and, to have this opportunity is just beyond words.
2: Sue, if you're willing to share, because there's a little bit of an inside story, generally speaking, uh, the recipient gets a call from the head coach, but you're the retired head coach. <laughs> Who called you?
4: <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Um, I should have because Brooks has been put in the hall of fame and I guess I did get to do that. Um, I was uh, being honored at the Duke game and I was on a stage prior to the game and uh, Michael Alford just turned around during the, uh, the final closing moments and said, uh, you know, and we'd like to, to welcome you into the Florida state hall of fame uh, when we have the ceremony at the beginning of September. And I, I, I was just taken aback and just, so honored at that
2: well, moment. Tommy, that means we gave Coach Sue too much credit because we, we said she acted so excited like it was the first time she knew about it. And reality was, it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it
2: was. It really
0: was. <laughs> we were talking with uh, head coach uh, Sue Samrao, better known in these parts as Coach Sue, uh, 20 plus years as head coach of the women's program, perennial. NCAA tournament team five sweet 16s three elite eights and I don't know the number on this one coach but I'm just going to call it countless smiles because I feel like that that smile of yours was it's always been so warm and it's your personality and it's who you are uh, and you you always championed your team in Florida State Athletics uh, so much and I know you still do it uh, especially with one of your own Brooke being the head coach now but I think that's how a lot of us will remember you, Coach, just for always being so warm and friendly to us, and we appreciate it.
4: Uh, that means a lot, Tom. And I I honestly, I, I really believe after 25 years that enthusiasm is God-breathed, and uh, apparently that's where the word enthusiasm came from because it, it just comes. And it, it comes for this place. It comes for these people. It's um, – it's something that still wells up in me as I talk about it now. And I I had great mentors and Bobby Bowden and Mike Martin. I mean, gosh, just amazing people that have been, uh, next to me, walking with me, uh, pushing me forward, pulling me, you know, it's just, it's been, it's been an incredible time. And, uh, you know, it's just hard for me to believe that coach Bowden's gone. Um, it's hard for me to believe that, that it's been 25 years. And I, I hope to, to continue to do work in this community and for Florida state because it's really become my home.
2: Uh, I think the, one of the, uh, explanations of enthusiasm, coach Sue is in the which is that God breathed <laughs> part of it. Uh, it's not a bunch of rah-rah. It's what you feel deep down inside. And I think I speak for all other letter winners at Florida State, male and female, uh, the dedication that you had to your your family, to your mom to take a year off um, and then come back and excel uh, is an absolute tribute to your um, it's an overused word and we don't use it much uh, for the ladies but uh, the the phrase is intestinal fortitude and uh, you exhibited mm. that in spades and, and i commend you for that
4: well, that means a lot and especially coming from you two guys that you know i know you you have that in you for florida state as well and thank you to all that you mean to us and the florida state and i'm excited to say that my mom and dad flew across the country, uh, for this event, uh, on Friday night. And honestly, I didn't know that they'd ever make it back here again. And so that's exciting, uh, to be able to have them here.
1: That's Congratulations on wonderful. that.
0: The, uh, the, uh, theme athletic ceremony is, uh, is Friday night at the, at the Dunlap champions club. And, uh, should point out, by the way, it's a, it's a terrific class on the on the baseball side. Eduardo Perez, who folks know, they remember him here, but his ESPN commentator, Pedro Grifol is manager of the White Sox right now. Ricardo Chambers was a track star. Leslie Mallaritz from softball. Tiffany McCarty and Kelly Rowland from the soccer team in its earlier years. And uh, Rodney Hudson, who may be a pro football Hall of Famer one day. And then Dr. Francis Cannon all, also being honored with the Moore Stone Award. Um well, I guess let me let me stop there real quick, Sue. Uh, any thoughts about that class that I just mentioned? I mean, several of them overlap certainly with your <laughs> coaching tenure. Even though they weren't in your sport, oh I'm sure God. you interacted with them and Dr. Cannon as well.
4: Oh, gosh, yes. And, you know, I just think about what these athletes go on and do. It's, you know, it's just so much about the person at Florida State. It's the – Athletic honors are one thing, but it's the people that you're surrounded with day to day. Uh, They just, they encourage you, they hold you accountable, they challenge you, and, you know, those athletes were with fantastic coaches that really led them into an amazing uh, career. Uh, not only during their time at Florida State, but then obviously professionally. And I'm I'm so fortunate to have been one of those coaches that had a chance to impact lives.
2: Now, Coach, we, we will acknowledge that you are retired as the head women's basketball coach, uh, but the, the coach Sue I know, know is never gonna retire, retire. So catch our listeners up <laughs> on what, what you're involved with these days. Well,
4: it was really important to me that I learned a new pace of life. I I feel like the coaching world now, uh, quite honestly, from my perspective, is becoming for the young. I mean, there's a lot more uh, social media that needs to be kept up with. Uh, Obviously, we've talked about the transfer portal, NIL, that recruiting never stops. I was excited to have an evening off <laughs> when I first retired. And I think I wanted to make, to create that. And it took a long time. It really did. I always felt like I needed to be somewhere that I wasn't. And, you know, it just was a shock to my system. Um, but once I settled in, I, I decided I wanted to look at things. Uh, they say that you try to tackle things that you hate. And there are some things that I... I don't care for uh, one of them is the the youth girls basketball in Tallahassee is so small uh, that I don't feel like we' we're developing that as a sport that they can enjoy and excel in here in Tallahassee they don't have enough opportunity they don't compete they compete with soccer and volleyball and soccer and volleyball are light years ahead of basketball in this area so I've partnered with uh, JT Escobar over at Equal Shot, and we are slowly developing that for young girls here in Tallahassee. And then I think the other thing that um, I moved on to is um, the homeless crisis here uh, in Tallahassee. When I was in Seattle with my mom, they live on an an urban lake, and I would walk around the lake during COVID, and you'd see it. it was tent city everywhere. I mean, everybody heard about it but then to come back to Tallahassee and see the the issues that we have here i've i've been on a bit of a listening tour you know just starting with mayor daly and then moving throughout the community listening cuz i have no idea how to help this it's not going to be solved but i would love to see tallahassee as a model of people who work together to really try to work with each of our citizens in a way that is very special, the way that I feel like Tallahassee has treated me.
0: You're to be commended for for your efforts and good to know that uh, you're you're putting your time into important issues like that, Coach Sue. I, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to go broader here, and we don't have time to do a deep dive on this, but you're well aware of what's going on with conference realignment, which I think most of us feel is more like conference misalignment. And I, I'm just curious, as <laughs> someone... Yeah, you, I mean, you talked about it being a a young person's game as, as far as a coach. Well, well, how do you think that would equate to you're playing a midweek game in Berkeley or Stanford and trying to come back? I, I'm just, I'm just curious from from what you've done as a women's basketball coach, what your concerns are about where we are right now with with college athletics and this conference mess. Well,
4: there's a lot to that, and I think that uh, in order to compete for the national championship in football, uh, we've made a lot of concessions. And that's not Florida State. That's everybody across the country. And I do have hope that there are intelligent enough minds in the room that we can figure out how to minimize that that wear and tear and travel on the, the bodies of the athletes that play more than one game a week, which is everybody else besides football and but i do i do trust that uh, they'll come up with some some uh, outside of the box uh, thoughts on the matter and i'm just going to remain hopeful um you know I've too many times beat my head against the wall about things that i thought should change and could be better and guess what now i i could just watch and hope and <laughs> believe for the best
0: well, and they're, they're, you know, you might not have gotten all the changes you wanted, but there has been been change, uh, you know, baby steps probably instead of uh, bigger steps maybe in your mind. But you've always advocated for what you're passionate about, Sue, and we love that about you. So congratulations again on the Hall of Fame honors and, and your continued support of Florida State and Florida State Athletics.
4: Well, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you having me, and uh, go Knowles.
0: Go Knowles, Coach Sue Semrau, one of nine honorees going into the FSU Athletics Hall of Fame later this week. Take a break and come back and uh, wrap things up right after this on Front Row Knowles.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: Back on front row knolls, a few minutes to go. Always uh, terrific to coach up, uh, catch up, coach up, catch up with Coach Sue. Uh, sounds the same, maybe a, a little bit less caffeinated and a little more relaxed in retirement, but still the same person there. KJ, well, and you know she's going to be involved in in one or more things, two
2: of which she had already talked about. Uh, you know, you you kind of closed the uh, conversation, um, hitting on what is a nerve for a lot of the the coaches deal in whatever the politically correct term we're supposed to use olympic sports or not as gen- revenue generating or you know whatever we're supposed to say um and sue was an absolute fierce advocate for um her program and wanting to be uh, funded correctly and appropriately uh and it it, it where it wore on her because it was a constant battle she would tell you that um and it's it's just somewhat of the reality of what we live in Uh, but her passion never waned and her her uh her uh, doggedness never uh she never turned the screws back and so she consistently and constantly fought for her program and she delivered results and so uh my hat's off to her she's one without question one of my all-time favorite coaches She's, she's right up there with coach bowden for me i didn't have that much interaction with her uh, but I I was a huge fan of what Coach uh, Sue was able to do.
0: Well, and and we I'll just say this, and then we'll, we'll move on, Keith. I mean, the elephant in the room, and you're right, I, I wrapped up the conversation before we went there. The $30 million revenue gap that Florida State's facing, or the ACC, is compared to the Big Ten and the SEC, I think you and I probably are on the same page, that the reality is Florida State could find enough dollars to fund its football program and still compete, at a high level, but it's going to be at the expense of sports like women's basketball and everything else. And that's why it's so critical that you do find more revenue. Uh, again, that's, you, people know this, or are tired of hearing about realignment, but by the way, Keith, since last we talked Stanford, Cal and SMU are officially in the ACC. Have and you notice we didn't I, even talk about that. I've gotten a sneak peek by the way of next year's football schedule, KJ, in light of Florida state, not being so quiet, shall we say, about how they feel about the conference distribution. And uh, after FSU goes to Ireland, uh, they're going to come back and then the ACC is going to send them to Stanford for a game, come back to play a home opener. Then they're going to send them to Cal Berkeley for a game, let them come back again, and then they're going to send them to SMU. Now that's unofficial, but I think that's what may be coming out of Charlotte. And hopefully you can sense the sarcasm in my voice, folks. Don't plan a trip to Stanford and Berkeley yet.
2: Well, and and let's let's be reminded of something. I'm sure most, if not all of our listeners are aware of this, but Uh, There were four no votes, let's say two weeks ago. Uh, NC State changed their vote and therefore there were enough votes for them to be brought in. But the three people that voted no were Florida State, Clemson and North Carolina. And those are the three, Tommy, I don't know how it's gonna happen or when it's gonna happen or if it will happen. But when, when people start departing the ACC. Those will be the three schools in no particular order, but those will be the three schools that depart. Coincidence, sarcasm, you may, folks, you may read in either side of our conversation any way you want to.
0: Keith, to me what this is about, because nothing makes sense about the move geographically, fiscally, but as you know from the vote you just detailed, You need 75%, 80%, whatever the number is, to pass something, right? Well, now you got three more schools that are going to vote with the block because they're the ones that brought them in, i.e. it's going to be harder for FSU, Clemson, and Carolina to win a vote on anything like this going forward. The numbers just changed.
2: And to bring that circle all the way back around, uh, you know, there may be back-to-back trips for Clemson. They'll be playing at Stanford the first week of October and then back at Cal on the second week of October.
0: Oh no! There'll be there'll be a week in between, so you can't just stay in California. You'll have to come home and then fly back. KJ, you know the way well, they'll do you're, this. You're assuming they would stay a week. They don't have enough money to do that. They would All say. Right. All right. So uh, a few minutes ago, Deion Sanders, and he is not popular with FSU folks. Really, hasn't been for a while. Certainly after his comments last week, he's not. One thing Dion always did as an athlete, in my recollection. When the stage was the biggest or the light was the brightest, he always showed up and performed. Now, I didn't think that would carry over to coaching, but damn if they didn't pull off a heck of a win last week in open eyes. And, I mean, you got to tip your cap to the fact he got that done. I don't know what else to say. It, you know, you, you and I have had the
2: opportunity to be around Dion a little bit. He's probably the one Florida State superstar that I, I've had the least interaction with. But I've had unbelievable interaction with, with kids that played with him, and I've had numerous, and I would mean numerous, conversations with Mickey Andrews about him. The other thing, Tommy, that, that people may forget is that, you know, one of my best friends from college is Bobby Butler, and Dion was drafted number one by the Falcons while Butler was still playing. And so Bobby's got a couple of three or four years of being a teammate of Dion before he took off, I guess he went to San Francisco after that the universal thing. Now, you know, the players that used to play with him. And now if you'll listen to some of the comments from the kids that are playing for him is he's all business, except when that light comes on. And so he doesn't uh, skirt anything, he puts in the time, uh, he's invested. Um, I didn't think it would and certainly this is one game, I didn't think it would rebound that quickly. But oh my gosh, if you watched that game, it certainly didn't look like a one and eleven team from last year.
0: No, one thing about Dion for all the flash, uh, it was always said that he was the hardest worker for Mickey Andrews, you know. And so he's applying that as a coach too, I guess. By the way, and, and we gotta finish up, Amarion Cooper and Derek McClendon, who hit the transfer portal from FSU. They're both starting for the Colorado defense right now. And that staff, Charles Kelly is the defensive coordinator. Tim Brewster's on that staff. Salson Sari's on that staff. James Chaney, who played at FSU's is director of player development. And David Kelly, who came here with Willie Taggart, is on that staff as the GM. So, uh, And that's not counting the three other players I didn't mention who are on the roster as well, plus Travis Hunter. And I'm sorry that I brought that name up at the end of the show here.
2: Well, and to be fair, and our listeners can be annoyed with me a little bit, please don't be angry. But if you listen to what Dion said that has been construed as being negative about FSU, it's where he got his degree from, not where he played. His degree is from an HBCU, but he always has acknowledged playing for Florida State.
0: Right. Well, People are still going to be disgruntled, Keith. But and they I appreciate should the clarification. I understand. I get it. We uh, will take a break. Enjoy the home opener this week. We're not just taking a break. When I say a break, it's going to be a week-long break, and we'll be back, uh, I guess, Sunday. Sunday, we'll recap the Southern Miss game. It'll hit your podcast feeds. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.